You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am very excited for this episode. We've been talking to Andrew for some time, trying to get him on the show because we're really excited about the type of perspective he can bring to emergency management and business continuity. And so Andrew comes from the Amazon world. Yes, Amazon, the Amazon. And so he can talk about all that perspective there. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm super hyped to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about... So we were just kind of joking around before the, the show. You have, a, you have quite the title uh, and, and roles and responsibilities there at your job. Can you tell our audience what your title is at Amazon? Yeah, so I'm Senior Manager of Global Business Continuity and Risk Intelligence, uh, specifically within Amazon Robotics. Uh, so, And then even more specifically within um, really the Amazon Worldwide Operations uh, Information Technology Node. So okay. we're, we're, we're the people that um, deploy, source, uh, and then uh, recycle, I guess, the technology that goes into fulfillment centers worldwide. Okay, so uh, the little known fact about me is I worked for another tech company. Um, they uh, they're a fruit, and I was the uh, I was the head of um, business intelligence there for a while, I was doing project management stuff there uh, for for the internal, so for their three hundred thousand employees or whatever. And so I can definitely understand the perspective of for profit entities wanting to do business continuity and wanting to make sure that. You know, we call them tiers, right? When something had happened, like if it impacted the immediate business or long-term, we would try to, we'd have to manage it that way. And so I got to see this perspective of uh, emergency management from the perspective of systems breaking, not just critical infrastructure, but uh, for organizational perspective. And I think you can provide a lot of insight there. And so like, just to start it off, the the impact of business and, and global operations uh, and, and in Amazon and your role there specifically to robotics and making those systems work. 
what type of impact does that have on day to day? Are you are issues happening every day, or are you looking at more of the long term preventative, or is there a lot of mitigation? Like, what are the different components of the disaster life cycle? Are you hyper focused on in your job? Yeah. So, um, my my team and I focus a lot on um, super proactive sensing and intelligence first. Um, we we believe that if you have really, really good intelligence on what's going on in the world um, and you can map that to how um, that intelligence could impact your assets, whether you're at Amazon like I am or other companies, um, it, it allows you to be more proactive uh, versus reactive when something happens. So, so we, we put a, a lot of effort into hunting for what are those threats, vulnerabilities and hazards that um, change every day um, and, and then map that back to our business to, to see what the impact could be for us. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit because what you're talking about is a hazard vulnerability assessment, but um, unlike I would say like what a government would do. So I'm trying to compare government to, uh, to organizational. So government does like, we have our hazard mitigation plan, which says a fire or an, uh, a hazard vulnerability assessment every five years. What you're talking about is a constant need to have situational awareness of both external and internal vulnerabilities and um, how to do the preventative side of that. So when you're talking about the intelligence gathering, what are some resources that you could provide to the field that say, hey, for an organizational emergency manager is listening to this, right? It's their job to do what you do on a different scale or a different company. What are some of the resources that they would have to pull in to have that situational awareness? Yeah. So, I mean, going back to what you said, I mean, uh, doing some sort of a FIRA or um, a hazard vulnerability assessment, HVA, um, in the public sector, the, the, the problem that I saw, so I came from public sector into private. Um, and uh, the, the problem is that the threat landscape literally changes every day. Um, and if you only do an assessment once a year or once every couple of years, um, you're, you're really not accurately painting a picture of what is your true risk to business impact. Um, and so we, we take the approach of constantly assessing. So we, we ingest data, we assess data um, through open source intelligence uh, first and also closed source intelligence, which is a little bit different. Um, and um, we, um, we, we do that um, through a variety of different mechanisms, having analyst support, um, tech support, and then we provide actionable insights for our stakeholders to take based on what we're seeing um, external to Amazon. So if I was an emergency manager in a locality um, and I didn't have access to you know, a ton of funding and resources, the first place I would go to is something as simple as like a search engines like Google um, and maybe build in an alert for X, Y, and Z. If this were to happen, I need to be notified about that. Um, it's cheap to zero cost, um, takes a little bit of time and uh, super helpful. Yeah, so it's, I, think, I think that's a good, a good idea to, to build in those alerts, whether it's uh, news alerts or otherwise. I, um, I take it, you know, if we're talking about building that foundation of situational awareness, you know, being on the national team was, uh, the national strike team was, was purely for response. And so we had constant situational awareness between our CIDL our and between my, myself, who I did GIS, uh, geospatial intelligence for the team. And so every day, constantly, we were not just getting the notifications, but we were doing threat assessments based off of a U.S. perspective of what could impact 
and where it could impact uh, the critical infrastructure, the populations, the social vulnerability, all that stuff. And um, when we in res- we're in response, what you're talking about is like a, I wouldn't say like a pseudo response, but you're constantly getting that uh, that that intelligence. Um, and I'm sure you're doing um, fairly frequent uh, briefings based off of that intelligence that comes through. I'm thinking of it like, um, you know, almost like your ops periods, like a 24 hour ops period. Every morning, you're probably sending a brief out, if I'm going to guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So our, our cadences are a little bit, a little bit different. Um, but um, be, because specifically, even more specifically to um, just emergency management and business continuity, like at a high level, like narrowing that down, um, we're focusing very much in the supply chain space. So we, we want to um, be on the cutting edge of um, supply chain intelligence that's outside of Amazon, but also um, there's, there's a lot of sources that we get into Amazon directly from our suppliers that we need to assess as well. So me- meshing those two things, and in some cases, three things together, because there could be another category there as well, um, takes, takes a, a lot of analytical insights, a lot of, um, um, a lot of just understanding of the business. You, you have to understand the business you're in. Um, you have to understand where those dependencies are and how they connect. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, the, so going back to what you said, the frequency can be 24 hours. It can be every two weeks. It can be every week, um, um, depending on like the type of environment you're in. It's completely custom. So l- let's break that down because you're talking about supply chain and supply chain is very popular right now. I'm going to look at it first from the perspective of as Amazon is both a supplier and works with millions of suppliers. um, You know, you have a, you have a unique circumstance where your supply chain is both could be, be interrupted by internal processes, but also if people, let's say, I I don't think we're even close to there yet. I mean, it probably won't be for ever. But Amazon Prime is like the favorite function of everybody, right? You get Amazon Prime, you get things within two days, and now you have a population that is used to having that function. If supply chain is interrupted even more for a major product within Amazon, then you start to have a, a, a different side of the business impact of customer service uh, issues, and uh, let alone you know your your business SOP is now now impacted. How does Amazon decipher working with, because you, you, you've said it a few times outside of Amazon now a few times, how do you decipher, okay, high priority product? Is it based off of revenue? Like your business impact analysis, is it is it impact on revenue? Is it pe- impacted on time? Is it impacted on, you know, another factor that, uh, you know, that you have to consider that maybe the general population doesn't have to consider? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, with, with any, um, with any type of program in this space, um, I mean, it, you have to, you have to know who your customers are and you have to understand what's important to them. And that's how we kind of built our program. So we, we have internal facing customers that, um, they, they want products and services at a certain time in a no fail environment. And we have to prioritize those first based on, um, what our customers feel are the most important to them. And um, there's there's a lot of things that are important to our internal customers and a lot of things compete with each other. But as a business, um, if if things are going to impact our customer, that's number one. Um, that's, that's always number one. We're obsessed over them, whether they're internal or external. 
Um, so, I mean, we, we prioritize our efforts based on um, customer demand and priority. Um, and then also from a business impact analysis perspective, um, just anywhere, I mean, uh, money, money is super important, right? Um, if a particular function is going to cost the business a lot of money, um, that's, that's a higher priority than something that maybe isn't as critical and, you know, doesn't have as much financial loss if any. So um, you were talking about business impact analysis. I mean, that's, that's super critical. I mean, from a supply chain risk perspective, which is a lot of the world that I live in, um, it's, it's a basis for figuring out um, where your dependencies are. Um, people process technology, how do you rely on all of that? Um, whether it's third party, whether it's internal party, um, it's super important to have that kind of laid out first. So let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, supply chain. It's all in the news right now. There's, uh, you know, politicians will say things like you're not going to get your Christmas presents or stuff like that. But every time I use Amazon, I'm still getting the things that I, I you know, I want from Amazon. I, the prime is still available. And so from Amazon's perspective of supply chain right now, obviously you have the forward facing message of everything's okay, but that's not the audience we're talking to. We're, we're, you're talking to an audience of emergency managers who get it, who get that, like, not everything's okay, but still a lot of things probably still are okay. Um, so from your perspective of talking to emergency managers in the field about supply chain, who understand supply chain from, uh, from a disaster response perspective, especially uh, large-scale disasters, um, what is your view of like the, what's happening in the world of supply chain right now? Is it as dire as it's made out to the news? Is there certain functions that they're not really focusing on that they should focus on? How do you build redundancy? I mean, I have so many questions on this topic. I will let you uh, determine what you want to talk about it there. But what do you think about supply chain right now in the world? Yeah, I mean, what, one of the, I mean, one of the things that I mean we're seeing across the world right now is that um, because of consumer electronics spending um, really skyrocketing during during uh, the beginnings of COVID, whether it's people working from home or taking classes from home because they're in school or whether um, medical technology is needing to increase their output um, to, to be able to uh, fight, fight COVID. Um, I mean, there's, there, there was a lot of demand um, placed across a whole bunch of industries um, at, one, at one time, um, especially in the technology space. Um, and a lot of um, what we're seeing now are the repercussions of what started two years ago, uh, almost two years ago. And then we're also seeing um, the ripple effects across other industries because when COVID first started, you know, people may not be commuting into work all the time. Maybe auto use was going down, um, but now people are starting to commute into work again and auto use is going up. We also see in the geopolitical landscape, um, you know, more, more of an emphasis on um, sustainability across the board, more an emphasis on um, electric automobiles. Um, and with all of that causes you know, some other ripple effects there as well, because you have all of these different industries trying to ramp up right now, and they're all competing against each other. Um, there's, and there's only so much at, at the ground floor level, uh, quote unquote, ground floor level, there's only so much raw material that can be produced as a give, at a given time. So they're either constraints at the very, very bottom levels of the supply chain, like raw material, or there's constraints with um, how are we going to transport all this product, uh, um, quickly to to meet customer demand. There's only so much um, shipping container capacity in the world right now. That's a big hot topic. 
um, turn on CNN, Fox News, CNBC, et cetera, you'll see that out there. Um, yep. um, and if you can't go via shipping container, what, what are your other mechanisms to get product from point A to point B? Well, you still have air. In some cases, you have rail. But um, costs for that and then speed um, are all completely different. So you start seeing ripple effects across uh, you know, a whole bunch of industries uh, because of what happened two years ago. Um, and those ripple effects, you know, they keep going out and out and out. And then uh, consumer demands change all the time. Um, and what, what we want changes all of the time. Um, the one thing that remains constant, though, is that um, when we want something, we want it now. And we want it quicker and faster than ever before. Um, so, I mean, in the future, in, in the next six months to a year, I mean, th those demands will completely um, c continually escalate. And, you know, people, people want them, their stuff, they want it faster, and that's not going to change. That's the one thing that won't change um, um, over the next year. So um, as supply chain professionals, though, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot, of, um, a lot of pressure on the shoulders to figure out how to handle situations like this. Yeah, definitely. A, uh, and you, like you said, uh, next year, I predict the next 18 months, two years or three years, even trying to trying to work this out and trying to level out, uh, maybe even beyond. Um, so for the audience sake, <clears throat> I'll give you a real world example of uh, how this, how what you're talking about applies to them, especially if they're doing natural disasters and why that matters. And then I'll talk about some of the work I just did um, in LA here. Uh, Puerto Rico, 2017, Hurricane Maria the strike team that was sent there unfortunately didn't understand this is why this is so important didn't understand the impact of supply chain and supply chain and how it moves the system it moves you're talking about air land and sea and it's an island and so they didn't understand both the the, the regulations the laws that had to be um utilized there and on also the requests that had to be like there was like a five-day minimum request. This is 2017. This is not pandemic life. There's a five-day uh, delay there. And they didn't understand how, how early they need to start ordering resources in order to catch up. And now we don't have any resources for several days. And, you know, the, uh, the famous example is that the planning section chief was taking pictures on the beach because they had nothing else to do. And lo and behold, the entire strike team was fired. And they should have been. I... I'm super critical of that. I was in Hurricane uh, Harvey at the time, and I was blown away by the lack of speed and understanding of supply chain because supply chain is response. Supply chain of USAR teams, supply chain of uh, infrastructure, supply chain of all these things that have to be put in place. So just even materials like food, you know, basic food and water, and uh, they didn't understand it. And so if you're an emergency manager and you're in the Midwest, or you're on the West Coast and you have to deal with a major earthquake and all of a sudden, you know, your port's taken out or you're in Puerto Rico and you're on an island, like these implications matter. So that's the real world example. And then um, about, a, uh, about a month ago, I was in the port of Los Angeles and I saw, I was actually on a boat with the Coast Guard and I saw the million, you know, shipping containers out there and like, hey, and they were talking about the length of time added you know, before it was like 12 to 18 days, and now they're looking at 25 to 40 days out on the water and uh, the constraints it's having. And so you as a supply chain company, I mean, Amazon's truly a supply chain company in terms of its major perspective and uh, having to work with that. I mean, you have security risks, you have consumer increases, you have so many different 
uh, constraints. And now you're talking about raw material and even getting that raw material to a place where it can even be manufactured. And so your delay could happen even before the process really even begins, before you even have a product to deliver. This is really fascinating to think about for sure. So Yeah, and I, I think going back to your example of, you know, you know, you have Puerto Rico as an island and, you know, that, that just adds so many degrees of complexity there as well because, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in the continental United States um, and then in other parts of the world that we take for granted. And uh, one, one of the biggest things is how um, we're, we're connected to uh, major sources of in infrastructure um, and, and so much more. Um, and, you know, islands have so many um, unique considerations um, and there, there's definitely a lot of different planning facets that need to go into that. But one of the things that I would suggest um, to, to anybody that, you know, maybe out there that hasn't necessarily placed a lot of emphasis into, uh, you know, what, what does their supply chain look like? Um, you know, going back to something you mentioned earlier, you know, business impact analysis is super important to understand what you do and how you do it, and then who's involved uh, and what's involved. Um, and that who's involved, what's involved piece, um, it can mean that, um, you know, you're working with internal stakeholders or external stakeholders. Well, how much do you rely on these stakeholders for X, Y, and Z? And what do you rely on them for? Um, dig a little bit deeper there. And then, um, you know, that, that's the most basic level of analysis and more, more um, mo moderate to advanced level of analysis is looking like, where, where do my supplies come from geographically? Um, because that's super important. Um, and how do, they, how do they come to me geographically? Um, and what, what mode of transportation, um, who, who's, uh, bring, bring the supplies to me? Um, do I have a backup supplier in case something happens to primary supplier? Um, you know, li little things like that really go a long way. Um, and then you can even take those level of analysis even deeper to see like, how, how does your supply chain really map together? Yeah. You're talking a lot about memorandums of understanding too, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. You don't just. I mean, Amazon kind of has the weight where they can say, hey, call and say, hey, you're now the, the primary for the next six weeks. But in most cases, you're going to have to have MOUs in place to say, hey, if a system is broken on one end, we need to have this already. The, the, the understanding of what the, the, the supply is, whether it's power or otherwise, needs to already be put in place. And so you're, you're hitting on a lot of uh, keys there. I'm going to geek out really hard here for a second, thinking of my... Uh, uh, business intelligence and or business impact uh, analysis hat do you deal a lot with q theory and or do you know what q theory is i don't <laughs> educate me yeah so basically the example is a bank teller <clears throat> if a bank teller takes 10 minutes to process an, uh, a person and we have one person come in exactly every 10 minutes you'll have no queue you'll have no nobody waiting but that's not reality and so we do, uh, in terms of a data science, we'll use like R or we'll use some um, other scripting uh, capabilities for data, data science. And we'll say, okay, if one, the math works out that if you have one bank teller that takes 10 minutes on average and you have people coming in like normal, by the end of the day, your queue will be five hours and 48 minutes in an eight hour day just because of the backup that keeps happening. If you add one other bank teller, that bank teller also takes 10 minutes and turns the exact same math. Your longest queue will be three minutes, five hours and 48 minutes versus three minutes, just by adding one additional resource. 
And so when I think of supply chain, I think of <clears throat> not just like what's bare minimum, but what's the acceptable amount of time that something has to take to get from A to Z and how many uh, essentially bank tellers do you need uh, to, to make sure that's within the acceptable amount of time. If it's like a call center, it might be under a minute, you know? And so like, Hey, how do you, how do you make sure you never get up to like a 15 minute queue or maybe your queue can be five minutes. And so I, I think of like call centers or bank tellers, and I think of supply chain in kind of this, in the same way of how, how early do I need to order my resources and how many bank tellers do I need for those resources to be able to process that? And right now I f I'm finding like the, the biggest problem is that quote unquote, we don't have enough bank tellers to even process um, the information. And so the, that's, what's truly extending. And I, I wonder what the math is to just to get it within an acceptable range. Anyway, something, something I, I geek out on, but maybe we can, uh, we can hit that on another time due to the time I'm looking at the clock here. Uh, this is a really fascinating topic, and I'm expecting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, our audience to maybe get back with questions. We'll have you back on talking about supply chain, um, both from the Amazon perspective and to, just to get you back on. Uh, really fascinating topic, especially during the pandemic. I mean, geez. So I'm grateful that you're able to come on and make that time for us. Um, if you're going to give your final word, advice to emergency managers thinking about supply chain business continuity, what is one thing that you'd really hope the field would understand? You need visibility. You need visibility into who your suppliers are, what they do, how they map to critical functions that your organization has. And there's there's really no better way to start than you know doing the BIA, like you said earlier, um, John. I mean that's that's such a fascinating place to begin. Um, do a rapid BIA. Do something simple, simple, and then at least get get some get some visibility. Ask some more questions, and then continue mapping out what what is your true supply chain risk, and what does that look like. So, my biggest word of advice. Great call out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more that you you said actually earlier. I want people to remind you this is constant situational awareness, getting yeah. alerts, uh, maybe adding some geospatial intelligence, and <clears throat> understanding those systems. And uh, you will really have great situational awareness so that you can move with disasters and prevent, uh, prevent disasters from happening. Andrew, thank you so much for again for coming on the show and talking with me. Um, for everybody's situational awareness, speaking of situational awareness, if you have a question for Andrew, you can always reach out to us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, uh, LinkedIn's a really good one there because you can, we'll tag Andrew. But if you have a question for him, you can put it there. Uh, you can also give us a five-star rating. And uh, if you like this show, which you should. And if you have any questions that you don't want for the general population because you're too afraid to ask, or otherwise you shouldn't be because we're a good community. But uh, you can always send us an email at info at dobermanemg.com. And we'll send it over to Andrew and hopefully get your answer to your question. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>